You're listening to Wondering Jews with Josh and Roy. I'm Roy. And I'm Josh. This is the podcast where two youngish Jewish dads get baked and wonder what it means to be a Jew today. Tonight on episode 86, we get ripped from the headlines. After that, we agree to disagree in our new segment, On the Other Hand. Then it's our 613 of the week, and we wrap things up with a pro tip. Pro, 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 pro tip. But before we get into all of that goodness, Josh, I want to take a moment to say thank you to our patrons on Patreon. Thank you, patrons. Your generosity is much appreciated. Have you ever wondered to yourself, how could I be thanked by Josh and Roy in this part of the show? Well, gosh, it's as simple as it could be. Just go to any show notes of any episode, click on the Patreon link, navigate your way over, pick your level of support, and you will be right here being shouted out, called out, celebrated, cheered, adored, and revered. Please take a moment and become a Patreon patron supporter of the Wondering Jews movement. Thank you. Well, I'm excited to tell you, Roy, what I did today, and that's that I went to a new dispensary that I had never been to. And it's one that's a chain in town here. I normally don't go to it because I don't like the font um, of their stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how do you pick a dispensary? There's so many. They're on every corner. Yes, I pick in a wine off the uh, wine shelf at the grocery store. Right. It's all labels. You know, It's all labels. Well, this label, their font is a little too silly for me. But I was driving by and I knew I had to pick something up for the show. So I went in, had a lovely conversation trying to figure out a strain for our 86th episode. 86th episode. And what strain, pray tell, did you land on? Well, I explained the show to the bud tender and he started laughing and he said, you know, a strain that always makes me laugh is Jokers. So this is a uh, proof cultivars uh, Jokers and it is a uh, 25.89%. 25.89% THC with a negligible trace amount of CBD. Yeah. And it was, uh, for those who are curious, harvested in May, tested in July. We're really getting deeper into the labels now. <laughs> Let's pop open this canister and see what the snug looks like. Mm. Mm. This smells good. Mm. Wow, what a beautiful nug. The one I'm looking at is dark. You know, I wouldn't say black, but really dark greens, really sort of like forest green greens. kind of. Yeah, absolutely. I actually even see some crystals on here, too. And a fair amount of uh, orange hairs Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, tightly um, trimmed, but still pretty cool looking. I kind of have like a a grapey kind of earthiness to the smell. Mm hmm. Yeah, I'm definitely getting a lot of fruit. A lot of fruitiness. Uh-huh. Maybe not so much earthiness, but I do kind of get that wine smell, maybe. Yeah, okay. A little whiny. <laughs> it's a whiny joker. It's like you and me, Josh. It's our strain. It's our namesake strain. Well, I'm curious. Now, you know, we've been smoking a lot of pre-rolls on the show lately, so it's nice to get back to just some nice nugs, which we will put into some nice bowls of glass. That's how I'll be smoking out of my little handy-dandy bubbler right here. Okay, I'm going to smoke out of a glass pipe here that's pretty clean. You can see through it. Did you clean your pipe? Um, about oh, maybe a, a few weeks ago I did. 
cleaned all of them at once because once you see if you're going to do one, you might as well do them all. That's right, because you're going to get all schmutzy. Right, exactly. I have to tell you, Roy, this gram that I uh, shared with you cost almost as much as one of your uh, ounces. <laughs> That's why you were you are in my life, Josh, to make me look higher up on the shelf. Absolutely, yeah. The bud tender had to get out the step stool. No way. This is step stool, bud? Oh, yeah. Episode 86, and we are solidly into step stool, bud. Don't worry. I'll get us back down on our hands and knees looking at the discount bottom shelf soon enough. What does the worldwide wiki say about jokers? Jokers is an indica dominant hybrid strain made by crossing white runts with jet fuel gelato. <laughs> Jokers effects are believed to be more relaxing than energizing. Consumers who have smoked a strain say Jokers makes you feel relaxed, happy, and sleepy. Jokers is believed to be less potent than other strains, but in high doses may be overwhelming to novice cannabis consumers. The flavors and aroma of Jokers is earthy. According to growers, Jokers flower into silver and green frosty buds. The original breeder of the strain is Compound Genetics, and Jokers took first place in the 2022 Leaf Bowl in Oregon. Well, this sounds like a kind of a delightful strain, not for novices, but I would say it's fair to call us not novices. And I look to the moment where we are smoking large quantities of this. Too much for a novice. Well... Let's get it started and pack these bowls and be right back. Hey, Joker. <laughs> I'm a midnight toker, Josh. But I am a, a bit of a joker as well. Well, besides the name, how is it doing to your body? It's a different kind of weed. It's a different kind of high. I don't know what to, how to quite capture it. Not sort of giggly, but I'm definitely sort of feel it maybe in the eyes, maybe mm-hmm. more sort of up in the like top of the head. Yeah. I feel like it's still sort of revving up. It might be. It might be. You know, we just finished our smoke sesh. So it's very possible. I mean, like we do every single episode. We just come right back on the mic and like don't necessarily acknowledge the arc of sort of impact, right? Yeah. So this might be a bit of a creeper, is what we're saying. Or clearly the fact that I'm talking so much means it's already working. <laughs> I think it is working. We should have a button that we push when we think it's like at the peak. And I wonder if we would push it around the same time. You mean if we would peak together, Josh? Is that what you yeah. said? <laughs> I just want to finish it the same time you do, Roy. That's all. Oh, uh, you know what? That's fair and reasonable. <laughs> That's fair and reasonable. Uh, how's it hitting for you? I think, you know, when you started talking, it wasn't working, but... Now I think it is working. Yeah. You know, like when I pick up the pipe and I like hit it <laughs> during the recording. Yeah. That's probably a good indicator that it's working mm-hmm. because it's actually kind of um, shifting very quickly into like a delightful spot. Okay. For me. No, I feel like I'm in a bed of flowers. I get it. I feel lovely. Right <laughs> now. Wow. I like how like nonchalantly you said it though. Let's not go crazy. It's just a bed of flowers that I usually sleep in. You know what I think would sound good right now? A segue. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what that segue would take me to, Josh? The headlines. Ripped. 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 From from the the, the, the headlines. Roy. (sighs) Our first headline 
comes to us from the hill.com. That's a real website. Yeah, yeah, no, that's like a real thing. The headline is marijuana use is becoming a new normal among young adults. And this is a story that more than two fifths of young men and women now use cannabis on occasion. It's like growing in popularity. You know, the example in the story is like, it's harder to find somebody that doesn't smoke cannabis than somebody does in Vermont. It's like, yeah, no shit, dude. (laughs) (laughs) This is not a new thing to Vermonters, Vermontonians, Vermonsters. And and so in some states, Oregon is one of them. It's already sort of hit that 50% mark. And nationally, we're getting close. I know this is right because every time I go to a dispensary, I always look around at who else is shopping in there. And the scene has changed a lot. It looks a lot like a grocery store in there. It's people of every shape and size, different age, different color, different socioeconomic situation. Mm -hmm. You're actually kind of hard pressed to run into the kind of whatever stereotypical stoner you think you might have run into in sort of medical dispensary days of the late 90s and early aughts, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. I'm curious about like the framing of the story because they say marijuana consumption. It's like, oh no, marijuana use and not marijuana consumption. You know, if we were talking about alcohol, it would probably wouldn't say alcohol use. It would probably say alcohol consumption. I don't know, maybe not. But you know, there's still not parity there in terms of recognizing alcohol as sort of a, the most widespread drug in America and all of its damages and still sort of framing it as marijuana use like somehow it is still um, more of a vice than than something that is demonstrably bad for you. It's so interesting because we've seen a lot of headlines like this. You know, we've seen headlines talking about women using cannabis more. Headlines about people about couples using cannabis together. Um, I mean, it's like all segments, like you're saying. You know, when you go into that store at the uh, senior hour over there <laughs> at eight in the morning, you're running into some different folks. Yeah, I mean, some dispensaries have like Senior Tuesdays or something. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, they should. Yeah. Come on, dispensaries. Think about your elders. Yeah. It's one of the commandments. I'm pretty sure it's top five. I think it's good. And I'm glad that that they're telling us about it. And maybe we won't have to talk about this anymore because everyone will be doing it. It's sort of like how I don't talk about me having a beer sometimes. Right. Exactly. Even though you've been known to have a beer sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, I think this is going to fuel the rate of acceleration of legalization nationwide it is become it has become normal in kind of a i would say a little bit of a remarkable speed considering how long a slog it took to get to the first major legalization victory what changes when it hits like 60 percent or 70 percent i know that we don't have cigarette commercials but we have alcohol commercials when it gets to 70 percent which probably will happen you know Within my lifetime, will there just be commercials on TV? That might be a slower part to change, but I think within our lifetimes, assuming hopefully knock on wood, we have long lives, Mm -hmm. I don't think it would be strange to think of it as sort of integrated at that level, which will, you know, um, be interesting and sort of like, in a weird way, a little bit bittersweet Mm -hmm. because will it lose its specialness as a substance i mean i don't think so not at the individual level but socially it'll because it'll become you know so normal and mainstream it'll be sort of omnipresent and invisible at the same time yeah so you'll just be like going to the the supermarket to get your herb 
because it'll be everywhere. It'll just be like sold behind the counter, like the cigarettes. Yeah, I mean, are. you know, that's what legalization advocates of sort of the like the real sort of free the plant movement have always been about. It's like don't even regulate it anything more than tomatoes. It's just a fucking plant that grows like every other plant that grows. <laughs> Could you imagine on every nug there's a little sticker? <laughs> <laughs> like on the tomatoes. Yeah. Oh my God. That is probably, that's probably coming too. Mm-hmm. You know, what I'm excited about is seeing how it integrates into like the healthcare system. And that part seems to be painfully slow. Mm-hmm. Our medical system is still very, very much based on this drug schedule. Yeah. And heavy bias against cannabis use. Yeah. So much so that if you tell your doctor that you have ever used cannabis, it is a permanent part of your medical record. I'm opposed to medical electronic medical health records because I don't want future doctors to know what I told the last doctor. I didn't trust you like I trusted the last guy. That guy touched <laughs> my junk. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's very true. It's, it's great for them. I don't know how good it is for us. Yeah, I'm not a fan. Well, I'm not going to challenge you on that. I mean, I'm <laughs> sure I could, but I'm not going to. I like the spirit of your position. Do you think there's any market for um, like a healthcare system? That's the differentiating factor is that they don't use, they don't track <laughs> anything. <laughs> like, we don't know what's happening until you come in here. We don't keep any right. notes. <laughs> All right. Let's start from the beginning. <laughs> what's going on with you? But that way you kind of keep it anonymous, you know, like, you know, they don't know you. Well, you also then like force the doctor to spend more time with the patient and get like a whole history of the person. And then you might actually notice something that somebody else didn't notice because you might have a, more experience noticing that pattern or ailment or something. Maybe you're onto something here. <laughs> and that's stopping the inevitable movement of <laughs> electronic medical health records. Boy, I love how this segment took us there. Or was it the Jokers? What's our <laughs> next headline? The next headline is from herb.com and the headline is a kosher vape meet the rabbi certified <laughs> jewish vape brand oi vapes that's a good name that's a good name oi vapes here's the problem with that name is that you can only sell vapes you can't sell flour if your name is oi vapes and for that reason josh i'm out <laughs> yeah, I've, been watching- <laughs> I've been watching a lot of shark tank lately <laughs> So this is about a Canadian cannabis brand that are offering 100% kosher vapes. And then they have flavors that sort of evoke Jewish holidays, like an apple and honey terpene flavored one for Rosh Hashanah uh, is the one really? they talk about in the article. Yeah, that's a good idea. We've talked about seasonality in terms of strains. We have, and Judaism certainly embraces the seasonality. Yeah, interesting. But it's a Canadian company. They went with Oi Vapes and not A Vapes, huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. <laughs> so they've got it kosher certified. There's a rabbi who certified the making of these cartridges. That's correct. Yeah. So his name is Avi Feingold, and he's a Montreal-based rabbi who certifies it. On the last episode, when we talked about sort of kosher. And sort of the word and the notion and all the aspects of it. One of the things we talked about was that kosher also means high quality or held mm-hmm. to a higher standard. So that a lot of consumers, a lot of buyers nowadays of kosher products are non-Jews who just buy the kosher one because they know it's the best quality one mm-hmm. in their mind. So, you know, it's very possible that because these are actually certified kosher cartridges that they've had been held to a higher standard of inspection, mm-hmm. that people might turn to this brand just because kosher means better. And like, you know, when you say oy vey, 
you're sort of saying it like, you know, like, oh my goodness. So like, that's kind of what you want to experience from a vape cartridge is that oy vey feeling like, how did I get here? How did I get here? So I think it's a good name. And you could also use the medical component of the oy, like your back hurts. Oy vapes. Yeah. There's a lot going on. You know, I tend to like to start out fairly skeptical on these kinds of stories, but I don't know. I think I've been sold on it. I think I'm a fan. So what happens here? Because this is a Canadian brand and we can't get it. So what do we do? Do we convert? Can we convert to Canadian? Yeah. If they'll have us, I'd be honored. Well, we'll have to learn more about these folks. Maybe reach out to them because, uh, you know, I'm curious. I'll tell you a secret, Roy. I already did. What? I went to their website, which is one of these dot CAs. I don't think it's real. <laughs> and then I filled out the contact us form and I hit up Rabbi Ari. Oh, he's the one who's running the company? I don't think so, but I, I guess I maybe I sent it to the wrong person then. I, you know, I just filled out, filled out the contact form. Okay. Gripping. I like filling out contact forms, and if someone wants to fill out our <laughs> contact form, they can go to wonderingjuicepodcast.com. The next one comes from Marijuana Moment, and the headline is, Cannabis Company and Major League Baseball signed deal for Charlotte's Web to be official CBD of MLB. Oh my God. So many letters. Why do they do that to me? So, Major League Baseball. Yes. Which has not historically looked upon cannabis related use in a favorable light, Mm -hmm. is crawling out of the 19th century and into the early 20th century of still prohibition, but embracing Charlotte's Web CBD. No, it's a company called Charlotte's Web. They're going to be releasing sports-themed cannabis products, CBD products, with the MLB logo on it. And it's traded on the stock exchange in Canada. And Major League Baseball gets a share of the company. Major League Baseball gets shares in the company. Yeah. And then the company gets to brand their stuff with Major League Baseball and be the official sponsor. Right. Okay, let's not pretend it's not worthy of discussion, Josh. I kind of like this because, like, you know, the Portland Trailblazers here, they were sponsored for a while by, a like, an icy hot competitor. You know, like, you've been exercising, you know, sports, you know, our bodies hurt. Now you have all these <laughs> CBD products that are basically doing the same thing, you know, like, after, you know, workout, CBD, you know, sports drink and stuff. Yeah, it's great. If it takes partnering with a major league sports universe, then cool. That will definitely ramp up that two-fifths of young Americans are consuming cannabis. It'll force the people who don't want to talk about weed to acknowledge the benefits and sort of normalization of CBD, which is, you know, weed. Yeah. What happens when Major League Baseball partners with this company for it to be its official CBD sponsor? And Major League Baseball has also partnered with Papa John's Pizza to be the official pizza of Major League Baseball. But what happens when Papa John's picks a different CBD company to be their official CBD company of pizza? So when they put CBD in the pizza, it's a triad. I'm glad you're looking out for Papa John. (laughs) Papa John's just, look, it's just, it's not great pizza, but they do serve it with those little pepperoncinis. And I love those. And that weird garlic dipping sauce that is just, they can't even legally call it butter, but it's pretty delicious. (laughs) And it's the first time I ever experienced pineapple pizza was on the Papa John's pizza in high school. And 
a lot of people really hate pineapple pizza. I get it. It's very popular to dislike pineapple pizza. But I'm not, I'm not going to run away from the potential boos and hisses of the crowd. I love pineapple pizza. Pineapple pizza is my favorite topping to put on a pizza. Shut up! Really? That's true. Oh, man. This is like a best friend kind of moment. <laughs> I had no idea that you were a big fan of pineapple pizza. Really didn't. We've never really talked about it. Next time when we're at a Major League Baseball game, having some pineapple pizza, smoking some CBD in the stands, you'll know. Poiling on some Oi Vapes cartridges <laughs> at a Montreal Expos game? I guess that'd be the only... Uh, place you could get it would be in canada so it has to be um the expos don't exist anymore just to be clear <laughs> a plea to the city of montreal if you're listening to the episode we would be honored to do a show from your fine city mm-hmm. we would just love to have those oi vapes cartridges at an expos game is that so much to ask <laughs> i mean it kind of is because the expos don't play in montreal where do they play they did play in montreal but they moved to washington dc and now they're the washington nationals Josh, listen, I've been in a coma for the last <laughs> 10 years. All I'm saying is that you're going to have to smoke a lot of oil vapes to think that the, the Expos are playing in Montreal. <laughs> just like, I just think that everything is at the Expos. I think what we could do is we could have an event in Montreal in the summertime. I want to make that very clear. We could have an old game playing in the background of your room so you think it's happening. Okay, that'll work. So, Roy, uh, how high are you? There was a moment earlier when you were talking where, like, the edges of my, like, lips started curling up mm-hmm. in kind of like a permagrin kind of joker smile. Okay. And for a moment there, <laughs> I was like, oh, maybe this is what it means. Yeah, because I'm smiling, too. What about your face, Josh? What's it been hitting like? I'm feeling pretty good right now. I feel like... um I feel happy. I feel like I'm engaged in our conversation, honestly, you know, which is nice. Roy, it's really hard to throw it to break when you're smoking. Always more enjoyable that way. Always more enjoyable that way. Could you use a a pipe made of ice? Yes, of course you could. You know what you'd call that? You'd call that a chillum. <laughs> That's true, but I but I mean the whole thing made of ice, like one of those big, you know, glasses at uh, uh, fancy cocktail bars. Like an ice bar. Yes, an ice bar where the stuff is made out of ice. Yes, you could absolutely smoke out of an ice pipe. Mm. That's a great idea. Well, I have another idea, and that's that we smoke more weed. Oh, sneaking us into a second smoke sesh. Uh, let's smoke more, and when we come back, we'll agree to disagree. Agreed. So, Roy, I'm looking at you here after the second smoke, and you look kind of like asleep. (laughs) (laughs) What happened? You were so happy earlier. I'm still happy. I'm just, like, happily asleep. It hit me, like, uh, physically very quickly. But as you pointed out, I was kind of puffing throughout. Maybe that's what happened. Yeah. I mean, you look spry as as a young mountain goat. Yeah, no, I I mean, I didn't start over. I think what happened is it's sort of like I put <laughs> a Mentos into some 7-Up uh, or something, you know, and it just kind of bubbled over. So I'm kind of bubbling over right now. Okay, all right. So, Roy, I've been wondering about rabbis. What's a rabbi? What is a rabbi? What isn't a rabbi? 
Mm-hmm. A rabbi is a, a teacher. Doesn't the word Rav mean teacher originally? Doesn't mean that anymore, I don't think, or necessarily. No, no, no. So my understanding is that there were no rabbis until after the second temple was destroyed. And in the fifth century, they got rabbis because they didn't have uh, a temple anymore. The priesthood sort of died off, right? And rabbis sort of took over. Yeah, so the rabbinate sort of was created in as maybe, I guess, a survival mechanism for sort of post-temple Judaism. It's a fascinating thing, the whole rabbinate and what it has come to be right now in this moment in Judaism. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, the rabbinate is a profession like any other profession. And it has within it all of those sort of professional tensions and dynamics that exist as a profession, as a field of work. Someone, it's a job. It's a job. And you have just sort of your job, you and your not job, you. And having been friends with rabbis, I've known that they have to sort of put it on and take it off because it, you know, it carries with it the definition of every single person that you encounter particularly within your your own congregation, if you're a congregational rabbi, mm-hmm. or within your own sort of stream of Judaism. But yeah, it's a fascinating thing to think of it as, as a job, as a profession, and less from sort of the liturgical or spiritual meaning. On the other hand, Roy, you can become a rabbi by being ordained by a religious movement, or by something called a simcha, which is having three other rabbis ordain you. Smicha. Smicha. That's what I said. That's the one. Why haven't I seen like rogue rabbis like being ordained left and right? Why are they all going through these these rabbi mills? These rabbi mills. Burn. I mean, that's a good question. Maybe it's because the rabbi mill is connected to the employment mechanism that places Mm -hmm. these rabbis at different congregations. The whole, um, you know, matching a rabbi to a congregation thing is very fascinating world. Like you're basically sort of dating these different congregations, going out and like leading a Friday night and a Saturday morning here and seeing how it goes and schmoozing with the local mockers of the congregation. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you get an offer, but maybe you really want an offer from that other place because it's in another city and it's in a city that you'd rather live in. Yeah, it's kind of like going to medical school, you know, being matched. Right, you have to choose them and they have to choose you. It's a delicate tango. That's so interesting. And then the people who chose you, like, change, you know, because the board moves on or whatever, you know? So it's a weird, weird thing. Yeah, I mean, the notion of, like, for more rogue rabbis or, you know, rabbis that have been, you know, smichata certified through, like, other channels, I wonder if that movement is growing because I feel like there is... a clearly a dissatisfaction with aspects of like how Judaism has been done in the last century or so, which is really what we're talking about because sort of this modern contemporary Judaism with this modern definition of a congregational rabbi is, is not a very old definition. Do you think there's ever been a case where three rabbis were like at a sporting event and they accidentally sort of made someone else a rabbi because there were three of them, they like at the same time like prayed for the same thing, and it just sort of like by accident they <laughs> they traded places with each other's bodies in Freaky Shabbos, the Freaky Friday sequel. <laughs> that would be a great movie. I just pitched it right now to the Gefilte Tank. <laughs> On the other hand, rabbis are also 
deeply, this sounds obvious, but deeply Jewish, deeply spiritual creatures who are trying to do this incredibly difficult job of preserving a tradition that is in a world that is so constantly fucking changing, it's hard to imagine being tethered to anything. Yeah. And I respect that work. I think it's hard. I think it is. I don't know what job satisfaction is among rabbis, generally speaking. I don't know if there's been any polls on that. It would be interesting to know what their level of satisfaction is because for all the things that come with the job, it can be a pretty thankless, even though everyone seems to be thanking you, but thankless job. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, Roy, I think the worst part of being a rabbi would be having to work with Jews all day. (laughs) Because it just put an extra weight on everything all the time. Well, maybe there's an opportunity in sort of the next movement of Judaism to sort of relax that a little. Looking at the news, looking at Twitter right now as a Jew, it's not like super encouraging, <laughs> you know? Like things are pretty, pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and sort of all the calls for awareness about how pretty bad things are seem to be sort of like really heard and ignored or even sort of challenged at further validity, which seems to be something that doesn't happen anywhere else. You know, I see that as things are bad everywhere. And so I feel like the pushback that you're identifying, I don't see it. I think it's just like, you know, there's not enough waiters at the restaurant. I mean, there's not, people aren't caring about anything because everyone is so worn down. You know, it reminds me of this one time that uh, I was young my then girlfriend and I were like on a road trip. It was like New Year's Eve or New Year's Day or something. And we were driving and driving. And there was nowhere to stop. And we finally found like this one diner on the side of the road that was open on like New Year's Day. And we ate there and the waitress was basically by herself in the restaurant. The whole restaurant was full of people and she was by herself and there was like one cook in the kitchen. And we were like also blown away by how hard she was working. And we were like, why didn't you just close the restaurant if the other person didn't show up for the shift? Just fucking, you know, that's ridiculous. You can't do this by yourself. But she was doing it. And then that evening, I had the worst fucking food poisoning of my whole life. (laughs) I was violently ill because they were so committed to staying open that they actually endangered their own customers. I think there's a lesson there. Yeah. I don't know what the lesson is. I can't quite put my finger on it, but you know what I mean? (laughs) I do know what you mean. So according to um, ZipRecruiter, uh, rabbis make between 62000 and $120,000. And according to ZipRecruiter, a TikTok influencer makes on average $53,000 a year. Why don't these rabbis just throw all their sermons on TikTok and make an extra $50,000 a year? Maybe. There are some hip rabbis on TikTok. I know that I've seen that happening a little bit. Mm-hmm. Seen some pretty fun videos out there, is what I'm saying. People are getting creative. I mean, honestly, like the things we've talked about on the Gefilte Tank in terms of creating a Jewish streaming channel, things like that, that's happening on TikTok. And it's not institutions, it's individual people who are sort of creating those brands, you know? On the other hand, Josh, maybe that is the future of the rabbinate, is like more individual actors acting individually in their own names based on their own work and their own thoughts and so forth, and much less sort of congregational significance. On the other hand, Roy, I feel like that's the like the thing I dislike most about it, about Judaism, is, is the idea that they're like celebrity to it. 
and that by sort of individualizing it and sort of creating your mm-hmm. own, mm-hmm. it's creating a different type of connection to God. And it's through a person that you are choosing over another person. And I don't like that. Well, on the other hand, Josh, the rabbinate doesn't play the role of sort of intermediary between you and God. This is one of the things that I think is the most interesting things about Judaism is the direct connection with the divine, not through inter- in any intermediary, whether that be like a priest or a pope or any other sort of figure. Like the rabbi is really there to guide your own practice. That is what the rabbi should be doing mm-hmm. and maybe impart some wisdom of from their own practice yeah i just know how the internet works and i know the type of people who bubble up to the top are sort of not the people who i would necessarily would want you know to be guiding that personal connection to god on the other hand josh we're talking about like rabbi hillel rabbi gamliel rabbi like we're talking about rabbis from thousands of years ago we're not talking about like temple beth jacob of (laughs) you know fucking cincinnati cincinnati exactly (laughs) the uh Maimonides, Nachmanides, like all of these great rabbis, like Abraham Joshua Heschel, mm-hmm. these people were like icons. They were pioneers in their sort of field of Jewish thought. Right. You haven't seen Abraham Joshua Heschel talk about how he marched with uh, Martin Luther King on TikTok? You know, it hasn't come up yet. I'm, I'm just getting served a lot of videos about other things. That's because Heschel's dead, Josh. No, I understand. So that's why I'm concerned because I have seen the TikTok videos and there's a lot of dancing and like jump cuts. And I don't, you know, like, I don't, <laughs> want, I don't want that to like be in the ark. You're just looking at someone, a rabbi dancing with an ark and then boom, the ark is opened and you see the Torah. Like, that's crazy to me. Wait, is that happening right now? I don't know, but that's what I see on TikTok. You know, you're more hip than hip replacement, Josh. <laughs> on the other hand, Roy, do you know what a bait din is? I do. Tell me anyway. It's the rabbinical court. Why aren't these rabbis on the court, man? Like, why aren't we watching like procedural dramas about bait dins and like what's uh, going on? I'd watch that. There? I'd watch yeah, that. Right. I'd watch that on our new Jewish streaming platform. That YouTube. Would be awesome. <laughs> it would be called Law and Law. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's usually it's like divorces, what they're called gets, right? G E T, gets. Yeah, a lot of divorces. But what kind of other cases come before the Beit Din? I think sometimes there's also these rabbinical courts where like if a rabbi did something bad, then they have to be reprimanded by other rabbis. Yeah, like court martial, rabbinic court martial. Bum, bum. On the other hand, Josh, on my final other hand, the rabbinate does represent sort of a continuation of what was the priesthood. And I have sort of consistently railed against the priesthood mm-hmm. as just a thing that was set up by Moses through his brother Aaron to judge and rule over all of these cases because he couldn't handle all these people just coming to him with every fucking single dispute they had. So it made sense that he outsourced it. But the result is like thousands of years of like priesthood, arcane rules about things and sort of rabbinate reinforcing like a practice that doesn't feel like maybe as organic do you think in monotheistic religions, there's only one God, but then you have lots of little people who are sort of like representing that God in different facets. In um, 
polytheistic religions, and there's multiple gods, are there sort of helper people who are sort of managing the shrines to those specific entities? They're sort of not seen as sort of bigwigs as the priests and the, the monotheisms, the monotheistic religions now. Exactly. That's what I'm saying, is that the priesthood tends to generate a lot of power mm. and a lot of resources, and power corrupts. And that's a monotheistic religious problem. Well, I think that polytheistic religions probably would have issues with sort of priesthood class too. You know, you need somebody to be sort of the expert on the rules, but then the fact that they have expertise on the rules gives them power over you because you don't. This is the reason that lawyers have more power in society than non-lawyers do. They know the rules. The better you know the rules, the better you can play the game. Absolutely. So it makes sense to know the rules, but sometimes you got to wonder about like people who are constantly interpreting and making the rules. That's like their whole gig. Mm-hmm. Why can't they just get a normal gig? Just let the rules be. Yeah. So many rules, rule changes constantly. You need a bait in. I do. I have two rabbi questions for you, Roy. The first is, if you are a rabbi, where would you want to be? Where would you want your congregation to be? Anywhere in the world. Oh, man. Probably on like an airship. You'd want to be a cruise ship rabbi? Is that what you're saying? An airship rabbi. Like a Zeppelin. And would it be people could like rent rooms on it? Or how would people get to your airship? Well, you know, they have to land. You would land in a place. Okay. So you'd be a traveling rabbi. A traveling rabbi, yeah. Interesting. You know, I think the idea of traveling sounds more appealing the idea of being in one sort of congregation and then sort of beholden to one group of people. Mm-hmm. That's true. I commend people who do it and want to hold that role for their community. Mm-hmm. It's not an easy job, and I don't covet it. But the other stuff, that seems pretty cool. My second question for you, Roy, is if Mr. T became a rabbi, would you call him a rabbit? <laughs> I would not. But that would be awesome if Mr. T became a rabbi. Fucking awesome. I was talking to a buddy of mine who... um I guess he davened with um, Amari Stoudemire, you know, Amari Stoudemire, 6'10", sure. forward for the Knicks, and he's converted to, he's an Orthodox Jew. He is. This guy was telling me that he, Amari came to Shul where he was davening once and got to do Hagba, you know, which is lifting the Torah. Right. It was like the highest the Torah had ever been. <laughs> and the guy was, <laughs> people were like freaking out, like, you know, like it was just Taking like pictures great. And stuff. I mean, th- think about when you do Hagba, how high the Torah is from the ground. And then right. think if you're seven feet tall, <laughs> you right. know, what that looks like. Yes, you know, it's 10 feet in the air. That's a banner at that point, you know, when they pull out right there. <laughs> They're like, all right, Amari, you're on Hagba for the rest of your life. You'll never do anything else. Yeah, no doubt. My older son's bar mitzvah was just very recently this past month. Mazel, uh, mazel, Roy. Oh, thank you very much. And, um, you know, it was a sort of an alternative kind of thing, but also a very traditional ceremony in its own way. But my brother, who's also very tall, 6'8", mm-hmm. did hagba, and it was supposed to be originally outdoors, but ended up being indoors. He had to barely hold it up, so he didn't hit the <laughs> ceiling with it. It's like I'm like, all right, hold it at your face level, you know, like that's because any higher, and it's going like I don't want to have to pay to excavate a tour from the ceiling. I always was terrified to do it. I mean, I've done it before, but it's just like, what if you drop it? You know, everyone's looking at you, and if you screw up, man, you are <laughs> like, if you just pull it apart or something, I don't know. Like, you don't want to do that. You do not. 
Yeah, it's terrifying. Well, that's all I have to wonder about the Rabinet, but it's been a wonderful opportunity to uh, test out our hands. <laughs> Amen. So, Roy, how high are you? Well, Josh, I'm pleasantly high. The body high has sort of mellowed out a little bit. It's not so like glued to the floor. I'm a little more like um, a little energetic. Mm-hmm. And I think sort of cerebrally, it's got a nice haze to it, you know? Yeah, I'm definitely getting uh, like glossed over. Yeah, it's very glossy. Mm-hmm. It is very glossy weed. Let me just check it and see if there's any. <laughs> yeah, there was still some in there. Oh, that's good. You know what I have next to me, Roy? I have no idea. The random number generator. Oh, my God. So let's pick one of the 613 commandments at random and learn about it. When you use the random number generator, do you plug it in? Oh, no. It's powered by my own sense of curiosity. Endless and free. All right. (laughs) Roy, the number is 26. 26? Good golly, Miss Molly. That's low. (laughs) I would not want to be a random number generator because you'd always think that it's not random. Like, why do they pick that number? I know. But it is. It's random. Okay, so this is uh, commandment number 26 from the canonical order on Wikipedia. That's our source, amen. Not to even think that there are other gods besides him. Not to even think that there are other gods besides him. This is from Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. Let me read it to you real quick. Chapter 1 of verse 20 starts, and I, God, spoke all these words saying, and then it's a bunch of stuff. So let's go to, to verse 3 here. <laughs> it's a bunch of stuff. Thou shalt not make unto thee a graven image, nor any manner of likeness, or anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Okay, it seems pretty broad. This is a famous uh, line. I've heard this before. That's like Torah. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good stuff. That's definitely the old book. It's clear, like, these people are going to become lawyers. You know, it's (laughs) like, wow, that is written to really pretty much rule everything in. So even though the text says, like, you can't have any likenesses or any images, the commandment is not to even think about it. It's like taking it a step further. It is taking it a step further. And it's, you know, it's interesting. It's a really interesting commandment because so much of Judaism is about like, it's not the intention, it's the act. If you intended to give charity, but you didn't give charity, it doesn't count as giving charity just because you intended to do it. Or if you give charity with the worst of intentions, just as a fucking tax write-off, it's still charity. It's still the Mm -hmm. act. There's very few things I can think of in Judaism that are sort of a forbidden on the thought of something. Mm-hmm. Right. Like Lashon HaRai, you're not supposed to speak ill of others. The commandment is not to think ill of others. <laughs> I do that all the time. No, fucking, I'm doing it right now. <laughs> not about you, Josh, I swear, not about you. But, um, you know, there's very few th- examples I can think of in Judaism that are saying, don't even think about this. Mm-hmm. Because we're just invited to think about everything. Right. So, you know, I think that's really, really sort of 
trying to just scare off any competition. It's a pretty hard stance. It's like thought, I guess, is a gateway drug. It is. It's the gateway to answers and to wondering, Josh. Mm. I bet that there are probably much more orthodox or much more observant Jews than me who would see like a Buddha sculpture on my property and think that that was a graven image or some sort of other deity. Mm-hmm. But that's not accurate. That's not what Buddha represents. The Buddha represents enlightenment, and the Buddha was a person who attained a state of enlightenment, not a deity. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily put up a statue of another deity, but I don't have any other deities that come to mind to me. I mean, I guess I'm, I've been pretty faithful. I haven't really thought about any other gods besides my gods, per se, aside from pop culture stuff, you know, Greek mythology, Roman mythology. Egyptian mythology, all of the mythologies. Obviously, Norse mythology is very hot right now. Thor, he's so hot right now. <laughs> and Loki. Loki's pretty hot right now, too. Yeah, I don't think that I um, have ever thought that there were other gods. I'm a relationshipist. Yeah, you're in a deep, committed relationship with the H-dog. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, look, when I think of my god, my god's like, whoa, he's like, you know, master of the universe. Mm-hmm. Thor's not a master of the universe. Yeah, he's not even master of the multiplex. No, he's not even master. Sick birds left and right Josh is throwing right now. Probably should alert the authorities. <laughs> well, I mean, it sounds like you follow this commandment, and so do I. So another one that we can check off. Few. I have to say, I don't actually think about it. I think that's just, I just figure God operates in whatever sort of version of reality or even sort of multiverse of realities exist. It seems to me it would be something that bigger than anything else. Therefore, no need to worry about other things. But there again, I thought about it. So maybe I broke the commandment just by thinking through it. That's what I was thinking too, is that like us talking about this commandment, anyone listening right now is thinking about other gods besides him. Well, so maybe this is a trick commandment. Maybe this is like if we look, take it sort of the Pardes model of going a little bit deeper than this sort of simple root definition of the rule. Maybe God knows that we're not really good at being told not to do something, Garden of Eden style, you know? Mm-hmm. So maybe the commandment is such to sort of, when you're like telling your kid, like, don't eat that broccoli, don't eat that broccoli. And they're like, oh, I'm going to show you, I'm going to eat this broccoli. Reverse psychology. Oh, interesting. So maybe this is a reverse psychology rule to make you think about other gods to sort of test your understanding of your own God. You know, and if you understand God as sort of the God of of the Torah, God of the creation of everything, then what else is there to sort of be threatened by? Like the void, the void is part of God as well. That's the whole notion. Even you know, the universe is infinite and it's still expanding. Where is it expanding into, Josh? Where is it expanding into then? How can it be infinite and expanding at the same time? If the universe is infinite and expanding, and I would mention also accelerating in its rate of expansion, which is also a little weird because things tend to slow down as they go out, not speed up, then what the fuck is going on? And maybe, uh, you know, you should just be like, okay, well, I'm go ahead and say this is also part of God's universe. Well, now I'll be looking for these uh, booby traps when next time I check out the Torah. You should. Hey, like everything is written in levels and levels, you know, turtles all the way down, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, Roy, do you have a pro tip? 
<laughs> it's a very personal question, Josh. Very personal question. I do, but you know what? I think I want people to hear yours first. Pro, 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 pro tip. Well, I have a parenting pro tip this week, and that's if you need your kid to learn a number, for instance, their social or like the code to like the lock on the front door. Okay. And the kids, you know, like once they figure out this code, your life will be a lot easier. Uh huh. Make that the code to your phone because they are going to figure out that code like their lives depend on it. And once they've memorized that number, then you have that number for life in the long-term memory. Wow. That is, I mean, what? That is a real pro tip. Yeah, I think so. That is a real pro tip. So I started with my phone lock as um, 3.147. And eventually I'm going to get them to learn the entire pie. The entire pie all the way to infinity. (laughs) And it it keeps on expanding. (laughs) What's your parenting pro tip? Well, I mean, I'm going to actually just sort of mirror your parenting pro tip because I'm going to give a pro tip, which is the pro tip I thought you were going to give when you started out with that setup. Because I thought you were going to say the following. If you want your kids to learn something like a number or an address or something like that, then turn it into a song. And if you can make it like a little song, like, you know, one, two, three, four, Main Street, and they just kind of sing it. And they're mm-hmm. like, hey, what's your address? And then you sing the songs. Mm-hmm. This is the reason why songs are used to pass the information down. Our brains like songs. Yeah. Do you sing any songs to your children? Oh, you know, they're teens and tweens now. They don't, I don't know if they're as keen for me to sing to them as they used to be. Yeah. They used to be much more open to it. Yeah. If you sang to them in the car now, they, would, they wouldn't like it. I think they get embarrassed now. I think they get to the point because like when we're driving to school or something and like I'll have it on like the 80s and 90s station in my minivan and like there'll be songs will come on and I'll just like fucking belt it out in the car and like I think they find it amusing and a little mortifying at the same time. Yeah. Which works for me. That combination is always fine for me. (laughs) So that's my pro tip. It's a little bit like yours, but a little bit different. Mm -hmm. That's a good pro tip. Well, Josh, would you grow jokers in your Cedo? I think I would. I'm kind of enjoying it. It's been kind of fun. <laughs> well, really, way to sell it. <laughs> Sometimes these indicas, you don't want to do them with other people, you know, and this is a nice indica that I'm like happy to hang out with you while we're smoking this. I agree. It is a nice sort of social indica strain. It's not a sort of get out of my house, I'm going to sleep strain. Because <laughs> I have plenty of those. And it's also not like a, we need to sit and talk the entire time strain. Like this would be a good strain to like be hanging out, listening to music, right. maybe watching a movie, maybe not. Yeah. I mean, I think that I would probably grow this as well. So you would grow this too? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I don't know that I would call this like a real daytime sort of functional kind of strain. Yeah. This is a good nighttime strain. I agree. This is a good nighttime strain. Exactly. This is not like a, you know, lunchtime hike and bowl strain. Absolutely. I could see it sort of hitting a novice pretty hard. Yeah. Like putting him onto the couch. <laughs> well, shit, Josh, that's episode 86, Jokers. Yeah, I liked it. If you liked it, rate and review us wherever you get the podcast. You can hit us up on uh, 
the Twitter or at wonderingjuicepodcast.com. Leave us a voice message. Until next time, I'm Josh. I have and continue to be Roy. Keep keep one. Yeah, keep one. Oh, 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 oh. Keep, keep wondering. wondering.